Amen. Uh, Catalyst Church is good to be back. We're two services. This is the second one this morning, second week. It's because you guys are doing such a great job of just being who you are, trying the best that you can to follow Jesus, and that is helping us out a ton to get the word out about Jesus. That's fun for us. Um, if you would do me a, just a favor, take out your phones. If, if you're online, if you're here right now, we're trying to figure out how we can get the word out about Jesus, just how what we're trying to do here about the real Jesus, all of the above. If you are uh, on Facebook, if you're watching it right now, hit like, hit share, share it on there. If you're on YouTube and you want to subscribe, any of the above, it just helps us meet your friends, the ones that you're like, I'd like to say something to them, but it's really weird and I don't want to be that guy. Uh, all you have to do is hit like or share, and we take care of all of that uh, for you. So that, that should help us out a little bit. This, this past year has been a year of adjustments. Just one thing after the next, one adjustment after the next. I mean, everything, the pandemic comes on, and we're all like, okay, the whole world has changed. What do we do? How are we supposed to do this? Well, let's send every kid home from school. So now all the kids are at home doing school from home, and all the teachers are trying to adjust on, like, how do I teach to a computer? Like, uh, we're at home as parents. Like, I don't even, like, we do long division. I don't even know what you're doing in math anymore. Like, that, I don't even know what to do about that. And then... Then we send all the parents home too. So now we've got the parents working from home, we got the kids doing school from home, we got everything at home, and it's sort of crazy. And then things start to settle down a little bit, and you're like, all those other things that I've been doing a whole bunch, I don't miss them a whole bunch anymore. I don't miss them, but I am starting to like being with my family when they're not absolutely driving me crazy. And But all of a sudden, I like my family again. I like spending time with them. I like being with them. And the, the intentionality, the time we have been able to spend with friends and with family has really gotten us through this pandemic. And now looking back, as we're starting to be able to come out of this a little bit, as, as we're, you know, we figured out the social distancing, we figured out whole, all of the, um, the shots for COVID we can get, and things are starting to open up, people are starting to evaluate. They're like, okay, what of these things do I want to keep doing, and what of these things am I done doing? Like some of these things, I wanted them gone last month because I'm ready to get back to whatever it is that you like to do. Some of people are like, you know what, maybe I'm not going to add in these other 12 things again because I like being at home with my family. I didn't realize that I missed family time, but I do. So we're trying to figure out how do we spend our time and our energy and what adjustments do we want to keep and what ones do we want to get rid of really fast? So one of the things we've been doing here over the last eight, ten weeks, we took a little break from uh, Experiencing God, but we've been walking through the Experiencing God workbook. So I want to sort of summarize what we've been learning so we can just pick up on it here. Um, we are in week number eight. If you're trying to keep up with us and, and trying to figure out where you are in your workbook, this is going to come out of Experiencing God week number eight. So what we've learned over the last seven weeks is that we have these different realities. First, I have to realize that God is always at work around me. Week one, that got me immediately. God is always, always at work around me. Like, no matter what I'm doing or where I am, he's always at work around me. So I've just got to, I've got to start noticing and looking for where he's at work, maybe. God wants a real, actual love relationship with you and me, so much so that he's going to try chasing you and me down to have it. Some of us are running like crazy. Some people are starting to slow down a little bit, and God is catching us, and we're like, oh, okay. God invites 
you and me to join him in where he's working. He wants you to be in ministry. Not just me. He wants all of us to be in ministry in whatever area that like God created you to be in. It doesn't have to be working at a church, but he's got something for all of us. God speaks still today. He didn't have to. He created all of the universe. He could sit back if he wanted, but God is still speaking. And the main language that he uses is the Bible. We have to know our scripture. Have to know our scripture. I can't have to know your scripture. Know your scripture. But he also uses some other languages. He likes to use people, promptings, and pain. He will also speak to you through doors, desires, and dreams. And some of us have recognized that. And after God speaks, Evan talked about this a few weeks ago, after God speaks to you, after you see where God is working someplace, he creates this crisis of belief inside of you, and all of a sudden you're like, well, what am I supposed to do that I, now that I feel this way? Now that I know this new thing, now that I've experienced this new thing, what am I supposed to do with this? And here's what you're supposed to do. Week number eight, as we talk about this, you must make major adjustments in your life to join what God is doing. There's a reason that I capitalized major, because I don't want you to miss this. In my mind, God is sort of like an introvert. All you introverts out there, you absolutely love this. God is sort of an introvert. He doesn't small talk. He's not like, Scott, I liked your new outfit today. It was great. I like the haircut you got. Have you done something new? Because I really liked what you were doing. God's like, no, I'm going to need you to quit those three things and come over here and do these things. You're like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Let's... Let's pump the brakes here a little bit. I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing, but that scares me. That's when you know God's involved. It's a little frightening, and we've got to recognize that. Now, I, I realize that like, some of you have been starting to make some of these major adjustments already because you're showing up regularly on Sunday morning. Some of you are joining us regularly on TV, online. My people up in Ohio, I see you out there. Love having you with us. But... Some people are making adjustments like saying, I'm going to on purpose show up every Sunday now. That's an adjustment. You used to sleep in a little bit more. You used to take a little more time with coffee. You used to go out for breakfast. You used to, you've changed those things so that you can do these things. And that's, that's your first step there. Your second step, maybe some of you said, okay, not only am I going to show up regularly online, in person, what I'm going to do is I want to join one of those connection groups. I want to get my questions answered about maybe what was said here on Sunday morning. I've got some questions. What does that look like in my life? And we're not raising hands and answering everything here. So in our connection groups are where we're doing that. And, and like, let me say how proud I am of those of you who are like, I'm showing up on Sunday. I know there are better things to do. I know there are coffee and I know you want to sleep in and I know all of these things but you've decided, I'm going to show up every Sunday, and that's not an easy thing to do. I recognize it. Once it's in your rhythm, once it's in your schedule, you got to figure it out. But until it's in that schedule, and you take two weeks off, because this happens to a lot of us at like spring break or the summertime, we're like, well, I'm just going to do this for two weeks. Well, then it's out of your schedule, and you got to put it back in again. It's like, oh, it's like a fight. We have some people have taken the first step, and I know this, and they started taking the second step because we had to start a new connection group on Tuesday nights because so many people are like, I, I want to ask questions about this. I want to be involved in this. I want to do this and that. So we started a new connection group about three weeks ago. And here's the thing. You can still join us. It's on Zoom. It's in your house. 
you can go ahead and you can uh, comment under this right now. I don't care if you're my people up in Ohio or, or Virginia or New York, even California. We'll even let some of you join us long distance on the computer. Like, that was, I was joking there. Don't take me serious, okay? No emails. So you can join us on Zoom and we can have these conversations right from the safety of your own home. And you've started making these changes, which is fantastic. But here's the, thing that I, here's the thing that I want you to wrestle with this week. Here's what I want you to write it down, talk about it at lunch, take it home, talk to husbands and wives and moms and dads and everybody else. Am I ready to join God in what he is doing? Okay, so I've seen God working around me. I feel like he's starting to make some asks on my life. Or, But am I really ready to do this? Like, I like the idea of it. But am I ready to put into practice what God is asking me to do? Because that's where the rubber meets the road, and it's, and it's tough. It's tough to figure that out. But here's what you need to know. Like, if you don't recognize this already, and, and when you hear this, like, it'll make sense. You can't stay where you are and follow Jesus. It's like, I can follow Jesus right here in my comfort, in a home with all my food and everything else. And Jesus is like, but I'm going, I'm going over here. And you're like, well, if you, could, if you could come here, I could create some space next to me. I can make sure you're fed well. We can have a good time. Like, I'm funny. We can have a good time together, Jesus. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm over here. Are you coming or are you not? You can't stay where you are and follow Jesus. And this is where it moves from things that I think about into, you mean I have to change something in my life to make this happen? And the answer is yes. You can't do both. You don't take Jesus and add him to the 13 other things you're already juggling. You're like, oh yeah, I want to, I love this Jesus idea. Let's grab him and put him in here with my work and my toys and my friends and my, and everything. You're just juggling one more thing. Jesus doesn't work like that. The goal is that you begin to follow Jesus and all of the rest of the balls that you're juggling, all of the rest of the distractions, he takes care of those, and he's better at those anyways than what we are, and we just focus on him. And when I'm able to focus on him and give him all of my energy and him all of my time and all my talent and all my resources and all my treasure, he's so much better at taking care of my kids than I am. He's so much better at my hobbies. He's so much better at work, like, he'll take care of all of that, but, but that's a big step. But that is what Jesus is calling us to do. That's why it's a crisis of faith. What do I do now that I know these things? The next step is to putting them into action, and, and that's what we've got to figure out. So my friend Aaron, who has, has been informally coaching me for probably five or six years now, he's who I went to Israel with, with a turkey with, uh, we're constantly going back and forth and having a great time. One of the things that he said is when, when COVID hit, the church uh, was not shut down. It was deployed. We, don't, we can't meet together in our own little buildings. Like, Here's one of the things, like, I've worked really hard, and it's been easy over the last 11 years to remember this. You'll never hear me call this the church, the building. All right, let's meet at the church. You'll never hear me call it that. You might hear me say, let's meet the church building. You, you might hear the warehouse, the worship area, because I know that we are the church. And I've got to constantly remind myself that we are the church. Because it was easy when we were meeting at Northwest Guilford High School, because if you go up to the church during the week, 
there's a thousand high school kids there. You're like, you're not like, oh, what are you doing in my church? Like, no, 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 that's their building. If when we were in the if we were in the Palladium Theater and you went up there during the week, they charged you to get in. Like we knew that that wasn't the church building. Like now we are the church, so we have to recognize that we are the church. And because what I keep hearing over and over again, like what, why people are doing this and why they want to join us is because they have recognized that we are just real people who got real problems, who are trying our best to follow the real Jesus. Not a single one of us has got it all figured out and is perfect. Not a single one. Every one of us is struggling, but we're figuring it out together. So that's what I keep hearing over and over again. And because we are those kind of people, because you are those kind of people, and the pandemic hit and you just went out and you were a real person with real problems, trying to figure out how to follow the real Jesus, your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, your kids' little league team, they were all watching and said, there's something about that. Like, I, I want to figure that out with them. That's why this is week number two, in service number two, because we needed a little bit more space. We were absolutely deployed, and you, when you came back, you brought some friends. And it's fantastic because you're doing what Jesus asked us to do. Now, some of us, he's asking us to do a little bit more right now. And we're going to look into some of the adjustments that I think Jesus is asking us to make, but also the adjustments that Jesus was asking the people around him 2,000 years ago to make and figure out how we can learn from these adjustments. And we're going to be looking at this in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35 today. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. Verse 25, it says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Let me stop there. Here's one of those signs. Like, as you're reading your Bible, there are a few, like, hints and signs that let us know something's about to happen. Whenever you see large crowds are following Jesus, he's about to say, put your money where your mouth is. How committed are you really? Because he'll say something outlandish, and all of a sudden people are like, um, but uh, I'll be over here. And all of a sudden it's a smaller group following Jesus again. Watch what happens here. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. See, you can't do whatever you want and follow Jesus. You can't add it into the 13 balls that you're already juggling. Jesus here is doing something. Now, like if you're running into this and you're like, I'm supposed to hate my wife and my children, and my, that doesn't seem like something Jesus would teach. It isn't. Know all of Scripture. Know everything else. It talks about how you're supposed to put them above you, about how you're supposed to serve them and love for them and care for them. So why would Jesus say something like this? to get your attention, to make a point. He's using hyperbole, people. Like, just recognize what's going on here. What he's saying is, you can have nothing more important than me. If your job is more important than me, you're wrong. If your wife, if your husband, if your kids, if your hobbies, if your anything is more important than me, you got it wrong. But we, we miss that because we take so many things so literal. Like, we don't understand family and love people the way that they did in their society. Like, we miss 
that. Because when, like when we get married, we move out of our parents' house, and we go and we do our own things. We start developing our own habits, our own ways to do things, our own ways to celebrate holidays and stuff like that. When they got married, they added on to the house, and everybody came in, and now everyone's doing what we do, when we do it, how we do it. They were family first. They were so family-centric that it's hard for us to even understand how devoted to family they really were. So this is what Jesus said is absolutely counterculture to everything that they know. And that's how they knew and they heard it and said, okay, I get what you're saying, man. I get what you're saying. We're not supposed to hate our husbands and wives and our kids. And our, no, no. We're supposed to put them second. And by putting them second, that means Jesus is in charge of them. And he does a better job than we do anyways. So let's just be honest about that. So... I want to give you guys some history, and this i, I got to rush through this. There's, there's a whole bunch of fun stuff I want to talk about here that I can't. But I want to give you some history so we understand and we see Scripture the way that the people that Jesus was talking to understood Scripture. Remember, these are real people. This really happened. This is history. It's not just like another story that we read. And Jesus, one of the things that Jesus does that he's so good about, he uses when he's trying to teach somebody, he's like, okay, What's around here that I can use? Okay, I'm going to use this. All of us are looking at this. I'm going to use this to teach the people. I'm going to use this relationship. I'm going to use this and that type of thing to teach people. So here's what was going on at that time for them. Now, we know the name Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the Herod at the birth of Jesus. So we see Herod the Great. He made everybody go to their hometowns and register and stuff like that. So Herod the Great is an absolute genius. I mean genius like maybe we have never seen since. And was a lunatic crazy. I mean cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, like, like certifiably crazy. The guy was nuts. But the things that he did, you're just like, oh my goodness. He built a second temple that was in Jerusalem. Uh, Jews didn't build that. Herod the Great built that. And the way that he built that, people today with the technology and the tools that we have can't recreate what, they, what he did 2,000 years ago. I mean, the guy was an absolute genius. So because he was also crazy, Herod the Great ended up with three sons that he didn't kill. He killed many of his other sons, many of his other daughters, a few of his wives. And the way that he killed them, it was, it was, it was crazy. But he ends up with three sons that live. He has Herod Philip, he has Herod Archelaus, and he has Herod Antipas. This is like George Foreman, like you only get one name, right? Like you just, I got 13 Georges. Like Herod was the same way. These are my boys. So Herod Antipas, who is this third son in the, in the trifecta there, there's a group of people right on the edge of the skirt of the Roman uh, world. And Rome was continually trying to go in and take over this Parthian land. Now the Parthians, they were right on the edge of the desert and where this mountain range came in. These people were warriors that the Romans could not beat. They could not overtake the Parthians. So they stepped back and they said, okay, what's another way to solve this problem? How about if we married the Parthian king's daughter to one of our kings? And we put the families together. Now we don't have to worry about the feud anymore. So this is what happens. Herod Antipas is married to the Parthian king's daughter. Now remember, these Parthian kings are next level. Also, when they say Herod the Great was a king, he was a king of this area. He was like a governor. Um, because you had Caesar, who was in charge of all of Rome, 
Then when they would go in and take over these different areas, they would put little kings in place that would all answer to them. Herod the Great was one of those. When Herod the Great dies, he wants to say, in my will, I'm going to break up my land into three different sections. They're going to my three boys. Isn't this what you're supposed to do? We're going to go ahead and split everything up. You get mommy's knickknacks. You get daddy's guitars. You get all this land over here. Whatever. This is how they were doing things back then. So as they go, all three sons go to Caesar and say, I know what my dad had in his will, um, but the other two sons, they're not very good at this. You should put me in charge of all of dad's land, just like dad was. All three of them go up and take their turns in front of Caesar, trying to convince him of what's going on. Now, the third son, my man Herod Antipas, he goes up, and I don't think Caesar even gives him the time of day, because he's already got a reputation. He is a bit way from his dad in the intellectual side. He is not the sharpest tool in the shed, and he keeps proving it over and over by how he lives. For example, one of the things that Rome is, uh, Rome is known for, when, we, when I went to Turkey, we, we had different places where we had these Greek theaters and we had Roman theaters. So we'd go in, and my man Aaron's like, is, you know, which is this, a Greek or a Roman theater? Being the highly educated archaeologists that we were, we were like, uh, uh, and finally he would give us the answer. The Greeks would go in, and they would find land that suited what they were trying to do, and they would build it up. It's like, oh, that's great. Rome would go in and say, uh, we're Rome, we want one of those here. I'm like, but that's going to be really hard. They're like, yeah, we're the only ones who can do that. And they would. They would put theaters, they would put in the middle of nowhere. Herod Antipas is like, I'm going to show everybody how cool I am. Out in the middle of the desert. It's, a, it's about a 17-mile hike in this desert. He decides, I'm going to build a tower to let everybody know, Herod Antipas, like we get stuff done around here. But what happens is he runs out of tax money and is sort of half-built, and he leaves it. Let's pick this up here in um, Luke chapter 14, verse 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Wouldn't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? In my mind, I believe Jesus and all of his guys had just camped out right next to that tower. I believe Jesus is like, uh, wouldn't you sit down and put some plans together? Wouldn't you game plan a little bit better? Like he's using what is right there to make his point. And they all knew it was Herod Antipas. Everybody knew. The word spread like crazy. All oh, the crazy guys building out in the middle of the desert. He's building a tower. Couldn't even finish it. Nice job, buddy. Nice job. And he goes on. For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you. <laughs> and they're all pointing and laughing in my mind here, saying, this person began to, fit, uh, to build and wasn't able to finish. So we've got this thing out there, and I believe Jesus is, is walking. We know that Jesus is walking there, and he's going because we find out in Luke chapter 10 that Jesus leaves uh, uh, Capernaum, and he's walking to Jerusalem. He walks right through the desert where Herod Antipas built this. It was where all the Jews would walk through as they're going to Rome or as they're going to Jerusalem every year. So we got Herod Antipas. So after the, all three of the Herods go up and say, put me in charge, the Pharisees, which is the ruling body of all of the Jewish people at this point, are like, those three boys are crazy. They go on up themselves and they're like, don't give any of them this job. We'll just follow you, Caesar. We'll be good. We won't cause any problems. Just don't let any of those three guys be in charge because they're crazy. 
So Caesar sits back and he looks at Herod the Great's will and he says, okay, I'm going to do everything that he says except for one thing. He takes Herod Antipas, who is not the surface tool in the shed, and keeps proving himself over and over again that he's not the brightest one here. And he said, I'm going to make him a tetriarch, one step below a king. In that culture, the shame culture, when you were demoted, your whole family was demoted. They were putting a mark on you saying, don't do anything. Excommunicated. Don't do anything with not only this guy, but his entire family line is now worthless. It affected everybody in the family. So Herod Antipas's wife, the Parthian king's daughter, is like, yeah, I'm going back to my daddy's house because uh, I'm not carrying this shame with you. I can't believe you put me in a position to where everybody knows my family, my kids, everybody's worthless because you kept making these bad decisions. So she goes back to her daddy, the Parthian king, with all the warriors. And he was like, oh, what'd they do to you? Like, this is my version. I don't see this. But what did they do to you, baby? How's he treating you? Oh, he wasn't treating me right, daddy. Like, that boy wasn't good enough. I don't know why you married me to him. I can't believe you would even let me do that. And she's just going on and on. And daddy's like, I'm going to go take care of this for you. He grabs 20,000 of his toughest warriors, throws them on candles. He's like, all right, boys, here we go. Look this up. This is in history. Herod Antipas decides, all right, I'm, I'm Roman. I'm going to go out and I'm going to fight him. Uh, Rome's lost every time you fought against the Parthians. Uh, maybe you should have figured this out. So he decides he's going to go out and he's going to fight against the Parthian king. It doesn't work out well for him. Everyone there knows this story. Everyone knows about this war that just happened. Huh. Or suppose the king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider what he is able to do with 10,000 men, opposing the one that come against him with 20? He's talking exactly about Herod Antipas and the Parthian king. He's like, oh my gosh, this dude is just getting it wrong over and over and over again. Why can't he get it right? So he's making this He's, he's building this story for his uh, disciples. He wants them to understand something. And then he goes on. If he is not able, won't he at least send a delegation while it's still a long way off and ask for terms of peace? Herod Antipas didn't do that, and everyone was slaughtered. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. What? 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 Like, king, uh, tower, what? And then he goes on and says, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Okay, you've completely lost me now. I have no idea what you're talking about. What they understood we miss. When we were over in Israel, there was a, a thing known as the salt highway. Uh, the Dead Sea, which is in Israel, the lowest place on earth, produces 98% of the salt produced in the entire known world. They owned the salt. Now think about, if you're living back then, you don't have fridges, we don't have air conditioning, we don't have any of the above, how do you preserve your meat and your vegetables so that you can eat even after harvest has gone away? Salt. Salt was more important than gold in the Roman world. You could pay people in salt. They would rather you pay them with salt. There was a salt highway so people could trade with all of this salt that was there in Israel. There was a place invented to where you could go get paid in salt called a salarium. We get our word salary still today from salarium. That's how important salt was. Here's the other thing that I don't know because I tend to put my food in the refrigerator. 
He says, if salt is, uh, loses its saltiness, it is neither fit for nor soil nor manure pile, and it is thrown out. Salt never loses its saltiness. I had no idea about that because I tend not to use it for you know, keeping my food good. I just put it in the fridge. It's really easy. But salt never loses its saltiness. And every one of them understood that. They're like, what are you, what are you talking about, Jesus? I don't, okay, we've got a tower. We've got a war. We've got salt. Can you get to the point here? Can you tell me what the heck you're even doing? And then he says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. I don't even know what's going on. What they hear, and every time you hear this from now on, I hope, anytime it says if you have eyes to see or ears to hear, he's pushing them back into Scripture. How well do you know your Scripture? Because the, what I'm telling you in these stories all fits together if you know your Scripture real well. Well, for us, we're like, yeah, I, I have no idea what's going on there. What Jesus was wanting to do, he, was, he wanted them to make adjustments in their life. What adjustments do you need to make? What adjustments do you need to make? See, what Jesus was saying is all of these other things, oh, you're fishermen, oh, isn't that great? Oh, you're tax collectors, oh, and you're Pharisees, that's great. Um, how about you just do what you were created to do and be my disciples? Don't worry about are you Roman, are you Jewish? Don't worry about are you a tax collector or are you a carpenter, are you a builder? Like it does, mm -mm. You were all created to just follow and love me. How about you just do that? And when you're committed singularly to one thing, I'll take care of everything else. You won't look like a fool because you won't be building stuff out here because I'm taking care of that. You'll actually sit down and won't be trying to fight everybody around you because you care about me. How about I take care of all of this stuff? You just make adjustments in your life to follow me. That's all he's trying to say. That's what those people heard, as crazy as it sounds to us. So what adjustments did those guys have to make? What adjustments do we have to make today to get us to a place to where when Jesus, when we see him working around us, or we hear him talking to us and say, hey, I want you to join me over here, that we actually can. Adjustment number one is you have to change your circumstances. You have to change your circumstances. This is experiencing God. It's in chapter 8, like don't miss out. But you have to change your circumstances. What's keeping you from completely following Jesus? Let's say Jesus showed up and said, I want you to be a missionary to... Budapest, to China, to southern United States, to a certain people group. You're like, um, I would love to do that, but um, I know missionaries don't make much, and uh, I got a lifestyle. Uh, they don't make much, and I don't know if you've seen my ledger, but I got a spreadsheet that, that runs pretty deep. W what am I supposed to do here? See, the problem is, in the United States, we spend 110% of the 100% we bring in. There's no room for margin anymore. If I got some extra, it's time to buy something new. We're going on a trip, folks. Watch yourselves. We got seven extra dollars. What can we do with 10? Like, let, let's make this happen right here. But we don't, lose, we don't leave any room for God to work in any things. Because in the United States, bigger is better and shiny is better. Like, and, I, and I get it. I'm not trying to say I'm looking down on all of you and you're not getting it. I tend to live here myself. 
Here's one of those things that I'm, I'm still working through. But what keeps you from jo- following Jesus completely? Is it, is it your house? Is it your job? Is it your finances? Is it your boat, your 12 four-wheelers, your new car, a horse farm? I don't have any idea. It could be anything. It could be absolutely anything. But if Jesus came and said, it's time for you to follow me, could you walk away from it? Could you walk away from it? If you can't walk away from whatever it is that you own, you don't own it. It owns you. If you can't just, I'm done. Here, Matthew 4, 18 through 22. As Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into a lake, for they were fishermen. Because that's what fishermen do. That's, they cast a net. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them. And immediately they left their boat and their father and they followed him. These guys left a family business that I don't have any idea how many generations they were into it. All those boys, them Zebedee boys, them, them boys are some good fishermen. They got business sense, business acumen. They got it figured out. They left the family business, money, prestige, comfort, their family, all with a smile on their face because I get to go with Jesus. They were happy to drop their nets, walk away from their families, and follow Jesus. That's a tough thing to do. Like, that's not easy for anybody to do. I get this. But could you? Or what adjustments do you need to be making in your life, in your circumstances, to prepare for in a year, in two years, in three years? I want to be in the place where Jesus said, I need you to work at the soup kitchen, work at a church, be a missionary, whatever it is, and you're like, I'm in. I'm in. Whatever it is, I got to get myself ready for that. It's a tough thing to do. But it's what Jesus is calling all of us to do. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48, it says, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Notice, children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward can you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? They're trying to make a point here. They're using, who's the worst person I could think of? Oh, tax collectors. Even the tax collectors are doing this. Like, oh, you're as good as tax collectors? Congratulations. Nobody likes them. And if you, uh, and if you greet only your own people, only the people I know, only my friends, only my family, only my connection group, I'm not saying hi to anybody else, don't even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So here's it. As your heavenly Father. Once again, we see this here. You see it all through the New Testament. You see it especially in like the Old Testament, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. They'll say, this person is just, Hezekiah was just like his father, King David. It's like, uh, Hezekiah's great, 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 great-grandfather was David. It wasn't his father. 
So what in the world are they talking about here? Are any of us today physical children of Jesus? The answer is no. I don't care what movies you've seen. Jesus didn't have kids. None of us are actual physical children of Jesus. So why do they keep using these terms over and over again? The reason they're using these terms is because you have taken on the qualities and the character of somebody, and they're like, you, you just like, that boy's just like his daddy. He loves on people that are hard to love on. He cares for people that people don't like to care for. Oh my gosh, that's just like Jesus. Like, that boy is, is just like his daddy. That's what they're saying over, you just like your heavenly father. You're just like your heavenly father. Because when you go out and you are real people, and they realize you got real problems, but you're still just loving people like this real Jesus, people are like, that's different. That's different. That's something I want. That's something I've got to be a part of. So we've got to realize we want to take on, we want to put Jesus on display by taking on his character and his qualities. And as we do that, people will look at us and be like, that boy is just like his daddy. Oh, he got it right. Sometimes we need to change uh, our circumstances. Sometimes we need to change our relationships. Jesus is teaching us here, when you love your enemy and your neighbor, you are acting just like the Son of God. You are living just like the Son of God. Maybe it's time for us to start loving people who, oh, it's going to be a tough day today. They just walked in. Oh, I got to go back to work, and my neighbors, oh, boy. Yeah, I would like to just cut them off. I would like to just walk away. I'd like, no, 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 no. I've heard enough of your mouth today. I'm good. I'd like to do all of the above. But today, just, just for today, Jesus, just for today, I'm going to be nice to that person. I'm just going to let them talk run their mouth like they normally run their mouth, and I'm not going to say anything or throat punch them or choke them out in front of everybody. I'm not going to do those things today. Maybe tomorrow, but not today. I'm just going to do that. So maybe an adjustment needs to be made in the relationships that we have and, and how we have the relationships. The third adjustment I think we need to make is how you think. Here's one of the things that I really have tried building into the culture here at Catalyst is I don't want you to just look at Scripture. I want you to figure out how you think about Scripture. Let it be the driving force, but you also need to know the world that the Scripture is placed in. We need to know first century. You need to know geography. You need to know the history. You need to know family lines. You need to know all of this different stuff because it shapes the picture that we see in Scripture. And Scripture is all that matters. It doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what you say or you think or anything else. All it comes down to is what does Scripture say? So let's do everything we can to understand that Scripture. So I want to affect how you think about Scripture. And let me tell you something if you don't know this. Like, you, I, I keep, I've heard people for like 12 years, they're like, why do you go to Catalyst? They're just real. I've heard people say that to me so often. It's like, you guys are just real. I'm like, thank you? Like, I, I don't really know what to do with real. Like, are there fake people? Other places, are they like, they're claymations or something? Like, I don't understand real. And I, over these 12 years, I've started to realize, oh, you mean like, yeah, we all got issues. We're not like, oh, it just everything's great today, brother. Everything's fantastic today, brother. Uh, no, it's not. No, it's not. You and your wife fought the whole way here. It's not. It's fine. All of us have issues. All of us are still trying to figure this out. But how you think about this is, 
what I want you, I want you to find a church where scripture is at the center and the driving force of everything. And here's the thing. There are places, let me tell you, and I'm not trying to call out any single place, but there are places where the preacher is much nicer and much more friendly than I am. There are places that they hire professional musicians and the show and everything is like, oh my goodness, you got to be kidding me. Like, it, like, is that a show every Sunday? Like, and I'll take our guys all day long. I'll take our guys. They, oh, man. They lead worship up here. It's like, okay, don't cry as you go up there. Don't cry. Don't cry. We're not going to do that today. So, like, I'll take our guys all day long. But these places are set up just to get people to come back. They're not set up to teach you about Jesus. And some preachers are doing this accidentally. They don't even know that they're not preaching about the real Jesus. They're trying to teach you about life and circumstances and how to make you happy so you'll come back again. Oh, and here's a half of scripture. I, I, feel like, I feel like we're missing something. Some of them don't know they're doing that. Some of them out there are directly in opposition to what Jesus said, and they're doing it on purpose. They're called false teachers. Paul was talking about them everywhere. I don't think they went away. I think they're still here. The problem is we don't know they're false teachers because we don't know our scripture. It doesn't matter how nice the preacher is or how great the musicians and worship is if their scripture, if their foundation is wrong. We need to know what scripture says. And how you think about this is what actually makes a difference. So the next step, some of you have taken the step like, I'm going to commit, I'm going I'm to give you five weeks, and I'm going to show up every week for five weeks, and I'm going to see what happens here, and you've made that commitment. That was your first step. You're like, okay. And then you're like, okay, I'm going to try one of those connection groups. That was your next step. Your next step after that is you need to know what Scripture says. So many of you who are coming here come because the worship is fantastic, because we're real, because I haven't made you angry yet, whatever it might be, and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go there. Do you have any idea what we believe about Scripture? Do you have any idea what Scripture says about certain topics? Because some of you come with a church background. And you know what you believe and why you believe it and how you believe it because you've spent time in the scripture. Do we line up with you? Do we not? You should know these things. And one of the, your next step to take is to go to match weekend because you will find out, are we a good match for each other? Do we fit with how we read scripture? But what I've run into more often than not is nobody knows what scripture says. Oh, they're just nice. They sing well, so I'm going there. You have to know. Don't take my word for what Scripture says. I'm giving you the best that I can. Open up your own Bible and look at it yourself. Go back and read these stories that we were talking about today. Look up the history that I was talking about that go along with these stories. Check the information. But for some of you, you're like, I, I don't know how to figure out what I believe about stuff, what I believe about Jesus and the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts and, and how I'm supposed to serve or about my money and what God wants. I don't even know how to look that up. Match Weekend is set up for you. We will walk through every one of those places for you. We'll let you ask all the questions you want to ask. If you have been here with us forever, we used to call this playbook. We're changing this a little bit. You don't need to sign up for this again. This is what we're doing. We're changing how we're doing it a little bit. Our beliefs are still the same. Because I've realized that like, my job as the preacher is to give you tools to do what God created you to do. When God put that crisis of belief in your heart, with your talents, your abilities, your situation, your circumstances, he wants you to do something. He doesn't want me to do it for you. Here's a, and 
It is not my job to disciple your kids. It is your job, parents, to disciple your kids. It is not Holly's job to teach your kids everything they need to know about Jesus. It is your job. We are tools that you can use. When you come here on Sunday morning, I hope you leave with new information, some more tools hanging on your tool belt that you're ready to use, but you have to use them. It is not my job to disciple your friends, your family, your coworkers, your neighbors. That is your job. That's why God put you there. You need the tools to be able to do that. Now, that is our job. Our job here as a staff is to make sure that you have the tools that you need to do that. And one of the tools is Sunday morning. One of the tools is connection group. One of the tools is match weekend. And you have to take, exam uh, you have to take the opportunity for this. If you want to say, I, I don't know, like I'd like to figure out what does Catalyst believe about the next coming of Jesus? What do they believe about uh, my money and what I'm supposed to do with that one? Because that one hits home a little bit. What do they believe about Jesus? What do they believe about the Holy Spirit? Pull out your phones right now. If you're online, you're already online. Go open up a new browser, whatever it is. Catalystchurch.info. Catalystchurch.info. Go ahead and go to events. And you can sign up right there for Match Weekend, and we'll get in touch with you. You'll see all of the time and information, what you need to bring, what you don't need to bring, all of the above. And when you leave this, you will have three or four more tools hanging on your tool belt, and you'll know what you're supposed to know if you've never known it. If you know your scripture, you grew up in the church, and you have studied well, you'll know if we're a good match or not. And you'll know immediately rather than, I've been in the church for 12 years. I had no idea they believed that. This is how we do this. But you have to make some adjustments in your life. And they will be major adjustments because you can't stay where you are and follow Jesus. Adjustments must be made. And we're going to do everything we can to give you the tools to make those adjustments. I'm going to pray. Father God, thank you for the opportunity, the love, the commitment, the tools that you have given us. Show us your way. Let us love people like, like you love them. It's your son's name I pray, amen.